0: I'm Jack Cocharella.
1: And I'm Aaron Parnas.
0: And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I start off by hitting the headlines, talking about Mark Meadows' contempt of Congress and text messages that have come out via the January 6th Commission. After that, we will discuss a strange decision by the Biden administration with regards to student loan payment. After that, Aaron and I finish up, as we always do, with Tweets of the Week. Aaron, you excited for this episode?
1: Jack, I'm pumped.
0: Well, let's do it. Let's zoom in
1: so jack let's just jump in right away and hit the headlines and talk about probably the biggest news of the week and that's the mark meadows contempt hearing now as many of our viewers or listeners may know mark meadows initially intended to comply with the subpoena issued to him by the january 6th committee even providing thousands of documents and text messages to the committee Um, he then went made it a complete about face decided not to show up for a deposition and instead claim executive privilege and then proceeded to sue the committee in a district court in D.C., um, alleging that they kind of overstepped their bounds by issuing the subpoena and that he's covered by executive privilege. Uh, Last night, the committee or two nights ago, the committee voted to criminally refer Meadows for contempt of Congress uh, to the Full House. And the Full House last night voted to criminally refer Meadows for contempt of Congress to the Department of Justice. So the subpoena or rather this criminal contempt referrals now in the, in the hands of the Justice Department and we'll see what happens next. Jack, what do you think about that?
0: Well, it's it's interesting because we saw not exactly the same thing happen with Steve Bannon because Bannon just completely decided to obstruct the entirety of the process. But like you said, the, the information that was, that was uh, shared by the January 6th Select Committee, those text messages, those thousands of pages of documents, that was information that Meadows had given when it seemed like he was going to go along with the process because he didn't want to be charged with contempt of Congress. And then he decided that he was going to go back on that yeah. and claim executive privilege. Now, Aaron, you can better explain this executive privilege and why uh, Biden's executive privilege overrides that of the former presidents. Um, but what was interesting was Mark Meadows someone who just recently had a book come out, um, a lot of the information he was claiming executive privilege on existed within his book, information that he didn't wanna share with the select committee he wrote about in his book and then subsequently called fake news. We remember a story coming out about the former president uh, having COVID and willingly, uh, knowingly having COVID around Gold Star families and around President Biden at the first presidential debate uh, and, and that information was shared in Mark Meadows' book, and he was attacking the own in, his own information. So he's flip-flopping on what he believes is true of the things that he said, and he's going back on what he wants to share with the committee. So can you explain why Meadows was not able to cons- uh, claim this executive privilege?
1: Yeah, sure. So I mean, it's a little more complicated with Meadows than it is with like Bannon and others, um, because Meadows was an executive official at the time. So executive privilege is meant to protect the executive, um, or to rather to protect the president and the current administration. And historically, um, since the early '70s, when the court, really Supreme Court, first really ruled on executive privilege in the United States versus Nixon, uh, it really determined that the only entity or the only pa- the only person that could really claim the privilege was the president. No one else can claim the privilege on behalf of any other executive official. So here. Uh, President Biden has the power to claim executive privilege over Meadows' testimony or over documents provided for, from the White House, but he didn't. And Trump, no matter how much he thinks he may be president, he doesn't have the power to claim executive privilege because he isn't the president. Now, there is an argument um, for Meadows to have executive privilege. And that's why, and um, I'll, I'm happy to say this plenty of times, is I don't think Meadows is going to get indicted um, mm. even if a criminal referral has been issued. And the reason why is because Meadows was an executive official on the day of the insurrection. Um, He was the chief of staff of the White House. And arguably certain conversations he had with Donald Trump may be privileged um, because those happened in the course of executive duties at the time. Now, do I think that's a good argument? No, but do I think it's an argument that might make any prosecution of Meadows difficult? Yes. And what I think Meadows did and on his part actually kind of brilliantly um, is that he sued the committee in civil court. Um, saying that the January 6th committee uh, essentially overstepped its bounds by issuing the subpoena. Now, this lawsuit won't prevail. I don't think Meadows will win. And I think a court will shoot down his executive privilege claims. But it does stall any potential prosecution because the Department of Justice is going to prosecute Meadows while he has the civil suit pending. Because if the civil suit somehow goes in favor of Meadows, then his executive privilege claims stand and there's no reason for the Department of Justice to prosecute. So I could see the DOJ waiting. Um, I could see an indictment many months from now. Um, So we'll we'll really see, Um, but this is definitely a different situation where unlike Bannon and others. And I will say this, justice may move slow and it may not be for several months that we see any action on this Meadows criminal referral. And that's okay because even if God forbid the house turns red next year, a criminal referral to the DOJ remains there. Right, Um, and the DOJ can still act even after the House flips, or even after the election, if it wanted to. So
0: So that's not something that would be able to overturn, be overturned with a new Congress.
1: Correct. No, it won't. The criminal referral will remain with the Justice Department, and Merrick Garland could prosecute next year if he wanted to. Okay, and so we we actually saw this week.
0: um, There's been plenty of discussion around. um, You know, you you see reporters like Peter Ducey asking questions about executive privilege. Um, and, you know, with these concerns that are brought up, well, what, what will happen when if Republicans take control of the House and try to use uh, this action to, you know, subpoena uh, members of the Biden administration and, and so on and such. And so basically what what the argument came down to uh, that Gensaki stated was, well, in, in this instance, we're not worried about the ability to use our executive privilege because we're not committing crimes. Right. So there's not a lot of worry on behalf of the Biden administration because they're not acting in the same way that the Trump administration did. So when Ducey asks these questions of someone like Zaki, the press secretary saying, you know, she always responds with, well, we're not really worried because we're not committing crimes. Because historically, we have seen that, you know, sometimes uh, former government officials will be subpoenaed. But because of the bureaucratic process, it takes time and eventually they just don't have to show up because they don't. But in in a situation like this where it's so much more pressing because democracy is under attack, Uh, much greater lengths are taken. But the position of the Biden administration is they're not worried about this infecting them later because they don't plan on committing crimes like the former president did.
1: Correct. No, I I agree with you. Um, And I think that the president, the current president, President Biden and his administration, not claiming executive privilege and just putting the ball in Trump's, uh, or rather in the court's court um, is, is great. And I think that, Um, I think Meadows and others are going to have a really rude awakening um, as they await these court rulings, because justice delayed doesn't mean justice isn't going to happen. Justice will happen, whether it's today, tomorrow, or 10 years from now. It it will happen. And what many people don't understand is that a contempt of Congress charge might seem minor. It may just be a misdemeanor, right? But it has lasting impacts. A, it's going to show up on every background check and every criminal record check. Meadows and others ever has to do for a job to get... um, a gun permit to get um, certain licenses, whatever. Uh, B. It impacts an individual's right to vote um, in some states. Uh, C. It 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 comes with the mandatory minimum jail sentence. I mean, there's just so much. Um, and I think that Merrick Garland's doing a really good job. The committee doing a really good job. I think we just need to have patience. Um,
0: and and so one more question with regards to the the Trump administration's you know position, the former Trump administration. These these higher up officials in the executive. Uh, office of the president. So let's say a Stephen Miller. Is this an individual who will take the same strategy as Mark Meadows uh, because he occupied a a similar higher up position within the administration and has a greater claim uh, as as he would to that executive privilege, something that Steve Bannon really didn't have, but you said is is, uh, Mark Meadows can make a greater case for. Is this going to be the way that the rest of these former Trump officials will act going forward?
1: Um, I think so. And I think, I mean, you may be upset about it, but it's exactly what a Biden administration official would do, it's exactly what an Obama administration official would do. They're just using the law um, to delay and that's okay. Um, like I said, justice delay doesn't mean justice is never gonna happen. Um, I could see other officials doing this. Um, but with that being said, the committee doesn't need Meadows to testify. The committee doesn't need Bannon to testify. The committee has over 300 cooperating witnesses, has thousands and thousands of documents and has several people who were in, higher, uh, uh, in high positions of power, e- even Keith Kellogg, um, the Vice Pre- former Vice President Pence's national security advisor at the time, will be testifying. I mean, there's so many other pieces of evidence and witnesses and everything that the committee has, but they don't need these witnesses that they're, that they're referring to contempt. Because I guarantee you, Meadows is never gonna testify in front of the January 6th committee, neither is Bannon. Um, no matter what happens with this criminal referral, they will never step foot in that committee room because they don't have to, nothing is gonna force them to do that. So um, I could see other Trump officials doing this, but I don't think it will matter at the end of the day because they have already hundreds and hundreds of people willing to cooperate.
0: And again, to clarify on the amount of evidence they have, they do still have those documents previously submitted by Meadows and those will not be held up yeah. in court cases in the civil suit that he's bringing against the committee, correct?
1: Yes, 100%. Um, and, that, and like I said, Meadows might've been smart um, by trying to delay, He was so stupid, if he's gonna delay, he might as well not just give anything up. Um, (laughs) Thousands of documents and text messages, many of which are now being used against him in the court of public opinion, um, including text messages from Don Jr., Fox News hosts, and even sitting congressmen. Um, So I think that's a pretty big deal. Um, And I think that uh, those documents are gonna be central and integral um, when the committee releases its report next year.
0: Absolutely. And you brought up the Fox News host involved. We saw over the weekend and the past couple of days that those Fox News hosts, Laura Ingram, Sean Hannity, um, who, who were you know specifically noted in, in sending messages uh, to Mark Meadows, um, telling the former president to make a statement to tell people to exit the Capitol, um, they're kind of scared sean hannity definitely looked terrified after all that information was coming out what do you think their role will be in, in providing further evidence all, all already you know we've seen that those text messages we show uh, we saw that they had some knowledge of what was going on uh, in the former president's involvement in january 6th do you think we'll get more information from them are those potential testimonies
1: possible um, i could see them being subpoenaed if they haven't already been um, i could see their phone records being subpoenaed if that hasn't already happened um, remember a lot of the stuff that we're seeing publicly it's only like one percent of what their the committee is actually doing behind the scenes i mean we haven't seen 300 subpoenas publicly but 300 people have testified in front of the committee already um, so you never know one of these fox news hosts could have been one of them and if not it may be coming soon I don't think the Fox News hosts um, are key witnesses or anything either though, because I think they were just texting um, Meadows that day um, because it really hurt their ratings and it hurt the narrative they were trying to push on the sixth. So I think that's what it was. Um, I don't know if they really had a part in the insurrection or not, um, but I'm sure if they did or if there are any leads, the committee will subpoena them. Um, so, so we'll see. Uh, I think we have a long time still to go. I think I'm, I'm really curious to see how these public hearings are gonna go. And the big part about it is that this is all happening next year. This is all happening right up, leading up to the midterm elections. And this is gonna be, Democrats are gonna be beating this drum. Actually, not just Democrats, uh, Republicans too, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger and others. um, We're gonna be beating this drum and it's gonna really, really help Democratic turnout next year. So we'll see what happens. Um, I just, I I hope and pray that uh, the committee does its job which I think it it is and it will. And we'll just find out the truth. Um, So yeah. And, and Jack, I mean, that's a big story, but I think something else that I really want
0: to talk about. Yeah, another big story about next year. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Aaron.
1: This affects someone like me, um, who's a student loan borrower, is that President Biden has arguably gone back on a promise he made on the campaign trail, um, where he promised that he would forgive at least $10,000 of student loan debt um, to every student loan borrower um, and has since not only denied um, forgiving the $10,000, but he has also... Uh, force student loan borrowers to start repaying uh, their student loan payments come this upcoming February. Uh, Mm -hmm. Currently, as many of you may know, student loan repayment is on pause and interest is on pause because of the pandemic. And it has been on pause since about, I believe it was May or June of last year um, of 2020. And Biden extended it uh, over a year um, to February, but this is really just him trying to signal, in my opinion, that the pandemic is over, but I don't know if it really I, is. I don't think, yeah, we really can't say that it is. Action is still being taken. We
0: know that the economy is, is starting to come back to normal, but that can't be true for all students who were, and you know, former students and student loan borrowers, but you know that, that accounts for people at all levels. Someone who's paying off their student loans isn't someone that's 24, it's someone that's potentially 50 or 60 years old. These are huge financial burdens that have affected most Americans. Jen Psaki even said that uh, the, the extend, uh, extending student loan relief that the, the president had done was helping 41 million borrowers, yeah. 41 million borrowers. It, it is a dramatic number. And it seems like a misstep. I even, I even said it by, by the president to, to not extend this period to say that you know, the pandemic is over when still people are struggling. The economy is, is not necessarily where it needs to be. And people are, of course, still recovering from the pandemic. And it, it doesn't make sense to go back on that promise. Now, Aaron, you and I had talked about what type of action the president was going to take. You obviously were talking about the legalities regarding an executive order, waiving any potential student loan debt, maybe $10,000 across the board for every borrower. Um, But we also, you know, so we talked about the political ramifications of that and how the president might be waiting until 2022 or, you know, just until after um, this bill currently going through the Senate, his social spending bill, something that Senator Joe Manchin is taking issue with until that passes. We said that potentially the concern on behalf of the Biden administration is we don't want it to look like we're spending any more money or doing anything else until this bill is passed. We don't want to we don't want to disrupt the, the, the mansion conversation right now with any other action. And so we said we could expect this to happen maybe closer to the midterms. But this is a dramatic action that a lot of students are coming out and, and, and very upset about. The number one trend on Twitter all day uh, on Tuesday was student loan relief. You know, like people were upset. People wanted to talk about this issue. So, so Aaron, what's your take on, on the Biden administration's, what I say is a misstep here.
1: Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, And I'll say why. Like, listen, personally, I'm not in favor of complete student loan forgiveness. And I don't think many people are because I believe in the idea. And this is me coming from a student loan borrower who I currently own over $200,000 in student loans. And the reason I'm not in favor of complete student loan forgiveness is because I generally believe in the concept of you pay back what you owe. Right. And even Elizabeth Warren, um, who was uh, further to the left of me on this issue, she never believed in complete student loan relief. Her plan addressed um, a $50,000 relief for all student loan borrowers with a certain means test. Um, so now when you're talking about student loan forgiveness, people aren't talking about a, co- a complete just debt relief because it has a lot of problems, right? Like, does that mean college is now free for every student? What happens to all the people who's been, who've been paying it off for years? There's so many questions, right? But that doesn't mean just because you don't forgive everything doesn't mean you can't forgive something and doesn't mean you... Uh, can find alternative avenues to student loan forgiveness. And personally, for me, I think the biggest thing President Biden should be doing um, and the administration should focus on is interest rates. Um, Because right now, when you think about it, if you take out $50,000 in student loans today and you take 30 years, which is the average amount it takes, uh, or according to the federal government, is the amount it could take to pay off your student loans, you're gonna end up paying almost $800,000 in student loan debt to the government from a $50,000 loan. That is insane to me. Um, that, is no, that is no longer paying back what you owe, that is paying back what you owe and then some. Um, but there's no reason the federal government should be owed hundreds of thousands of dollars simply because you needed help getting through school. Now, for us in, in the younger generation, and Gen Z and millennials, we were grown up being told how important it is to go to college, how important it is to get a degree, because that's what the generation preceding us uh, was kind of indoctrinated to believe. Um, And knowing this, many of us went to college, took on large amounts of debt, and now we're stuck paying it off. Uh, We can't, uh, I can't get approved for a mortgage right now in a home. I can't focus on um, starting my own career and my own family and all that because I'm focused on paying off my debt. That shouldn't be what what we're dealing with. Uh, So if you suspend interest rate, uh, interest payments or completely eliminate interest payments, um, if Biden follows through on his promise of forgiving $10,000, even if he doesn't do it for every borrower, even if he applies some sort of means test of like, if you make more than a certain amount of money, you're no longer qualified, I'd be okay with that. But just do something. Don't do nothing. And don't campaign on this if you're not going to do anything. That, that, that's my biggest issue.
0: And, As, and I think that's, yeah, that's where people are upset is because it looks like the administration is making a full pivot away from this issue, right, that they talked about, that at least the Biden administration said, It is important that we help with relief in some form on this issue. President Biden was stressing the need and the desire to make community college free or more affordable, to make college itself more affordable, to get young people educated and out and working. And so if they want to do this, they have to tackle this broken system in some way. And when it appears like they're not even going to approach the issue at all, that's when students begin to get upset. Right. Because the the broad position is not cancel all debt. It's do something about a system that is very clearly broken and that the president has already said needs to be fixed, needs to be revised. And he campaigned on that. We've been talking about the issues that matter most to young people. This is almost number one. This and the future of our climate, it's like action needs to be taken now. Or we're not gonna be able to pursue our future. That's what you just said, Aaron. And it is abundantly true that we are being held back from our future unless the Biden administration does something and does it soon.
1: No, 100%. And I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. I think it's like um, it's, it, Democrats are constantly blamed by Republicans that we're all talking no action, that we're these career politicians who promise a lot and never deliver. How can we go on the campaign trail and say, we're gonna help students, we're gonna help you? and not do anything. I mean, this is we're really feeding into the Republicans' line, and it's true because we haven't done anything on this issue. We've been campaigning on it for so long, and nothing's been done yet. So it's time for the administration to really get its shit together because it's simply unacceptable to leave student loan borrowers out in, in, in the rain and not getting anything. And I will say this, it's extremely politically popular to forgive some student loan debt.
0: Absolutely. The
1: general public agrees with this policy. So why not do it, especially in advance of the 2022 election?
0: It's a broken system. We all agree. So take action. Because I, I, I can't imagine any young person getting excited to go out and vote after getting slapped with another thousand, tens of thousand of dollars worth of payments that they owe and, and have felt no help with when they were made a promise that there would be some form of relief. It's not that people want everything to be completely gone. They just want help fixing a broken system. And Joe Biden has that ability. So it's just time to take action. It's time to take action and it's time to show that this is an important issue to the administration. Because if it's not an important issue to the administration, the administration is not gonna be important to young people everywhere. And that's gonna be a problem in 2022.
1: Yep. And I, I guess we'll see what happens. Hopefully Biden does something. Hopefully steps up to the plate and reverses this, this decision. And who knows? Um, so, Jack, with that, we hit the headlines. Um, hopefully President Biden acts. Um, but now let's jump into our next segment, which is a New York and that is Tweets of the Week. Let's do it.
0: Christmas. That means it is the season to deck the halls and exchange presents with loved ones. But over the past decade, a new tradition has emerged. Binge-watching low-budget, made-for-TV holiday movies. The new season of Business Wars podcast from Wondery looks at how Christmas films started creating massive profits and how the battle to have the highest-rated Christmas movies has become an intense Christmas tradition.
1: And in 2009, the Hallmark Channel aired constant holiday programming from Thanksgiving to Christmas, The ratings shot up and rocketed the Little Watch channel to number one. Hallmark's competitor, Lifetime, took note and launched their own block of Christmas movies, and this sparked a rivalry that's lasted almost a decade. When Netflix started making Christmas movies, what started as a business competition turned into an all-out battle for viewers' attention. Business Wars, Christmas Movie Wars, dives into the competition between Hallmark, Lifetime, and Netflix, and while their films may be full of goodwill and cheer, the war for ratings is downright hostile. So listen to Business Wars wherever you find your favorite podcasts.
0: And now it's time for Tweets of the Week. Our first tweet comes from Chris Hahn. Chris says, Biden to America. I'm here for you no matter who you voted for. Aaron, isn't it nice to have a president who you know, cares about every state, not just the states that voted for him?
1: Yeah, honestly, that's awesome.
0: It's, it's good to be back with a regular president. Our next tweet comes from a good friend of mine, Aaron Parnas. Aaron says, Dolly Parton, not Elon Musk, deserved to be Time's Person of the Year. Couldn't agree more, it was a year Dolly. She did a lot of good and we should be thankful. And our next and last tweet comes from Alex Cole. Alex says, maybe if Fox News had raked the ground around the Christmas tree, it wouldn't have caught fire. That is the Donald Trump logic that doesn't work and never has. And that is Tweets of who And that is our show. Thank you so much to our listeners, to the Did family. It is growing every week. We say it every week because it's happening every week. We appreciate y'all spreading the word, tweeting about us and telling your friends. It means so very much. Uh, and if you also wanna leave a five-star review, uh, and tell us if you like the show, we'd really appreciate that. Aaron, if people want to tell you directly what they think about the show, where can they find you?
1: Find me on any of my socials at Aaron Parnas. What about you, Jack?
0: You can find me on Twitter at JD Cocharella. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A or on TikTok at Jack Cocharella. Thank you so much to Adam Salton, our producer and our editor for helping us put together this show every week. And thank you to the guys at Midas Touch for being the best and always supporting the show. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for zooming in.